0: Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona.
1: You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada.
0: Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada.
1: She does love a cold Corona.
0: Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona?
2: And your grandma. Or we could keep it
1: simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
3: Ashley, for the love of home.
4: Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
1: Hi, this is Chuck Taft at University School of Milwaukee. I'm unable to get to the phone right now, so if you would please leave your name, number, brief message, and most importantly, your favorite person in American history. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Thank
4: you. Who is this Chuck Taft?
5: He's a high school history teacher, and I called him up because he plays this game with his class called Bill of Rights Survivor.
4: How on earth do you play that?
0: So Bill of Rights Survivor is obviously based on the fantastic reality TV show Survivor, of which I'm a big fan. Uh, The idea is that we're going to use amendments two through ten, and then students are going to try to figure out which amendment should be
1: the sole survivor of Bill of Rights Island.
0: Does he give the kids torches?
1: I do, actually. (laughs) You know, the little LED type of candles. And then I
0: have a Bill of Rights mug. I also hide immunity idols in the room. It's like
1: two little slips of paper.
5: The students are assigned amendments, and they present speeches as to why theirs is the most important. Everybody votes, and the losing amendment is called up to the Bill of Rights mug.
1: When I say, you know, that the, the tribe has spoken.
5: The tribe has spoken time for you to go Seventh Amendment.
4: This is so excellent. I imagine the students will walk away with this profound love and respect for the Bill of Rights.
5: They do but there's another teacher that I adore. Woody Holton from University of South Carolina.
6: I want you to call me Woody if you don't mind but my legal name is Abner. He's in the Bible and he killed his father. So who gives that name to their son? I play kind of an obnoxious game with my students where I ask them, okay, tell me specific things. Don't talk in generalities about liberty and freedom. Get specific. What specific clauses of the Constitution you like? And they'll say freedom of speech, or they'll say everybody can vote, or they'll say um, uh, gun rights, um, or uh, no unlawful search and seizure. And then I get to say, you know, the things you just named as being great about the Constitution, none of them is in the Constitution. None of them is in the document that the framers adopted on September 17, 1787. None of them are reasons that they were there or they would have put those things in it.
5: Today on Civics 101 and our founding document series, we're finally getting to you. And we're talking about the Bill of Rights. I'm Nick Capodice. And
4: I'm Hannah McCarthy.
5: And before we get into how it was created or how it affects our lives, let's be clear about what it is. The Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments to the U.S. Constitution, written by James Madison, ratified December 15th, 1791. And you know them all by heart right
4: yeah of course if
5: you don't it's real easy to fix that i looked at a bunch of mnemonic devices for how to memorize the first 10 amendments and my favorite by far involves waving your hands around which is not good for radio but han and i made a video of it go to our website civics101podcast.org and check it out let's begin in that sweltering room in philadelphia david o stewart author of the summer of 1787 told me about the great debates over the Bill of Rights at the Constitutional Convention.
1: The debate about the Bill of Rights actually never happened. It wasn't discussed through most of the summer. Uh, It was not something that they thought was terribly important. Uh, A few of the states had constitutional provisions that declared rights, Virginia did. uh, And it was widely thought to be sort of eyewash. You know, it was something you did that made everybody feel better, but it didn't really make much difference. Um, and they didn't worry that the national government would create risks to people's liberties.
5: However, the idea of a Bill of Rights was brought up at the convention,
1: but truly at the 11th hour. In the last week of the convention, there were two delegates, George Mason of Virginia and Elbridge Gary of Massachusetts, who were known to be unhappy with the Constitution with lots of features of it, the powers of the Senate, the powers over uh, trade. And... Um, and suddenly they stand up and working with each other. Obviously, they had cooked this up ahead of time. Uh, they move for the inclusion of a bill of rights. One of them actually says, uh, "We could put this together in an afternoon," which is a little uh, ambitious. Uh, and most of the other delegates saw this for what it was, which was was a stall. They had been in
5: this hot, sealed-up chamber with boards over the windows for months. And they did not let this diversion of a Bill of Rights scuttle the whole thing. And this feeling that it wasn't really needed is echoed by James Madison and Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton's Federalist 84 says bills of rights, quote, are not only unnecessary in the proposed Constitution, but they would be even dangerous.
4: You said Madison wrote the Bill of Rights, but he didn't want a Bill of Rights?
5: Not in the slightest. He did not think it was essential to a new nation and he even referred to the act of writing it as a, quote, nauseous project.
2: The fundamental point that James Madison made is that the Constitution itself was really the structural guarantee of our rights. This is David Bob. He's the president of the Bill of Rights Institute and the author of Humility, an Unlikely Biography of America's Greatest Virtue. Alexander Hamilton wrote, the Constitution itself is a Bill of Rights. In other words, all of those kind of things that can be considered not quite as um, exciting, the, the, the separation of powers, federalism, these sort of guarantees, the structural part of the Constitution, that's the mainstay of our liberty. Of course, Madison was very aware that the people's rights needed to be protected, but that was mainly the job for the states.
5: Remember, Hannah, all these states had their own constitutions, many of which had their own Bills of Rights.
4: Right. So they're arguing that all of the states have them. So why does the federal government need one, too?
2: The other reason that Madison was not for the Bill of Rights was a kind of practical one. And that is, if you write those rights down and separate them out and say, boy, this is, this is really important. This is, this is the statement. This is the place you go to find all of your rights here. What if one of them is not on that? What if, what if a right that you do possess is not listed there? Does that mean that it's not a right?
4: Those are some pretty strong arguments. They
5: are, but in the end, they don't work. The Constitution had been sent to the states where they had ratification conventions to decide if they're gonna go along with it. Delaware ratifies first with a unanimous vote in their Congress on December 7th. Then Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Georgia ratify right after. But then we have a nail-biting lull during the year of 1788.
7: These ratification conventions were big deals. And during that process, a repeated theme is why is there no Bill of Rights?
5: That's Linda Monk, the Constitution lady and author of The Bill of Rights, A User's Guide. The people were calling for one, and this is terrified the pro-ratification Federalists.
6: Madison in particular saw that as a plot to derail the Constitution because people were saying, hey, you guys got to go back to Philadelphia in the summer of 1788 and write in some, uh, some civil liberties and maybe we'll ratify your Constitution. And um, the people who wanted the Constitution were afraid that would lead to more controversy and the Constitution would never be ratified. And so they fought tooth and nail against the Bill of Rights not because they were opposed to civil liberties but because they were afraid that would gum up the works and prevent the original seven articles of the Constitution from being adopted but starting in Massachusetts in February 1788 and then in several other states including uh, my original home state of Virginia and uh, the state of New Hampshire all said okay we're gonna go ahead and ratify the Constitution but only with the understanding that if you don't add that you'll add a Bill of Rights. And if you don't add a Bill of Rights, we can always call a second convention.
4: Wait, so they say give us a Bill of Rights or we'll call another convention to write a whole new constitution?
5: Yeah. And most of them did not want to do that. It was so hard to get the first one written. The first
6: Congress came in, has a federalist majority. The majority of them don't want a Bill of Rights. but. James Madison convinced his fellow Federalists, hey, you know what? We better give them a Bill of Rights before they give us one.
7: These states, some of them, will say, "Okay, we're going to trust you to put in a Bill of Rights, and we'll go ahead and ratify it now. Uh, A state like North Carolina said, no, we don't trust you. We're not going to ratify this until you've already added the Bill of Rights. And so when Madison's running for um, Congress in his state of Virginia, he takes a stand that if he is elected, he will move to um, propose a Bill of Rights in the new Congress. And that's what he does in 1789.
5: Nauseous project or not, Madison is true to his campaign promise because more than anything, he just wants that constitution to be ratified. And if the people are crying for a Bill of Rights, not only will he make one, but he'll ask every state what they think should be in it. And he sits down and he makes his first
2: list. The the list that he came up with was more than 200.
4: 200? 200!
2: 200 total, yep. Because there were a lot of states that had pulled together lists that were long, and they, they had some that were more detailed than others. And Madison, again, with that kind of mind that wanted to lend some order to these kind of things. There's no way that you can deal with 200, right? You couldn't hardly deal with 20.
5: And then there's the question of where to put these rights. Madison initially wants them to not be a separate thing. He wants to write them into the Constitution.
4: He wants to just change this document that these men sweated over for four months.
5: Yeah, And Congress says, heck no, we have a Constitution already. Roger Sherman of Connecticut had an idea.
7: And in fact, it's an enemy of Madison's uh, who proposes that maybe we should put all the amendments at the end. During the process that they propose, they eventually re- are referred to as amendments, not a Bill of Rights. Madison says there are amendments like a Bill of Rights, because at the end of the process, they all came together. After they were ratified, it was 12 amendments submitted, 10 got ratified at that time uh they became known uh colloquially as the bill of rights
4: wasn't that the official term for it
7: well there's some debate about that uh pauline meyer uh the late and very esteemed uh scholar raised some questions about that well it wasn't actually called the bill of rights i i i take a little exception of that sometimes you don't have to give a name it's it, give a Uh, a document, its formal name for it still to be that. I mean, it still operates as what we think of and call a bill of rights.
5: So we start with 200. And when the smoke clears, we end up with 10. Nice round number. The first are great civil freedoms, speech, religion, press, petition and assembly. The second and third are about militia and conditions under war. And the 4th through the 7th are about the rights of the criminally accused.
4: So a full half of the first 10 amendments are about the rights of the accused.
5: That's right.
7: And you think, why did the framers put that much emphasis on the rights of the criminally accused? And when you think about it, you know why. It's because they were criminally accused. They were very aware of when you have the power of the whole government going against an individual who is accused of a crime.
5: The ninth answers Madison's fears of missing rights, that just because a right isn't listed here, that doesn't mean you don't have it. And then the tenth, that any power not given to the federal government is given back to the people. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in DC for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch.
4: That is the largest employer in the world.
5: And a lot of those people work in the civil service, where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job.
4: But if you run a business and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed.
5: 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites.
4: 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use it the better it gets.
5: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash civics.
4: Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast.
5: Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire, you need Indeed. Cheers to a great day and this ice
1: cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida mas fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Corona Port Chicago, Illinois.
5: the states. And on December 15th, 1791, Virginia becomes the 10th state to ratify the Bill of Rights, adding it to our recently ratified constitution. And there it is, right?
4: That's it? What is it, like 15 minutes?
5: Well, I think it's time we bring up the tub.
4: What tub?
5: A tub to the whale. This is Woody Holton again, and he's quoting a whaling term used by an anti-federalist to describe the Bill of Rights. Sometimes, you know,
6: you're going after one of these big toothed sperm whales and the whale turns on the ship and it it can sink the ship just like in Moby Dick. They had these big wash tubs, big wooden wash tubs, and they would throw one overboard in hopes that the whale would attack the, the tub instead. Um, so it's, it's sort of a, a diversionary tactic. And and it's amazing how many of the people who uh, had opposed the Constitution saw the Bill of Rights as written as a tub to the whale. They wanted structural reforms. Some The, the largest number of them thought that the Constitution made the federal government too strong. And Structural reforms to the Constitution were the last thing that James Madison wanted. He liked weakening the states. He was a strong national government guy. And so he didn't want to shift power back to the states. And he was also an anti-democratic guy, and he didn't want to shift power back to the people either. So he didn't want to give the critics of the Constitution the big stuff that they wanted. So instead, he gave them some things that were he saw as innocuous.
5: Nobody was challenging gun rights at the time. Nobody thought there was an imminent threat to freedom of speech or religion.
6: They threw in all these things that to them seemed almost trivial. And that's the tub to the whale. And let's get people to adopt that Bill of Rights so we don't have to adopt a bigger Bill of Rights that returns power to the states and to the people. And certainly when I ask my students what they what do they like about the Constitution, they name the things in the washtub rather than the ship of state.
4: Okay, but regardless of whether the framers thought those rights were trivial, they were ratified. They have become a part of our Constitution and they help define us.
5: I agree. They do help define us. They are much like the Declaration of Independence. Big ideas that you can hang your hat on, you can sink your teeth into, but there's an ongoing discussion about how they actually
0: affect our lives. You know, first of all, there's there's this debate, right? There's the Elkins and McKittrick view uh, in history that um, the Bill of Rights is a net gain uh, for. Citizens in the United States because they've created a bundle of federal rights where the the federal government can't trample on you. This is Alvin Tillery. He's the director for the Center of the Study of Diversity and Democracy at Northwestern. And so that's a net gain for citizenship, even though your states can still trample on you. Your states can have a state religion like in Maryland. Your states can restrict your property, you know. And so but but to have the federal rights is a net positive in 1787, right? Um, then there's the Charles Beard view, which is, you know, all of these guys are grifters. You know, the urbanites, like, you know, are grifters and, and the planters are grifters. And what they've done is make sure that Shays' Rebellion never happens again. And so the Bill of Rights is a nice sort of thing to hang on your wall and make you feel like you're an American citizen. But it doesn't really affect your daily Uh, life because, you know, your state can still do really horrible things to abridge your freedom.
5: And this is like the crux of the whole thing, Hannah. The Bill of Rights initially did not apply to the states. And what this meant for you as an American was that while the federal Congress couldn't pass a law abridging your freedom of speech or freedom of religion, your state could. And the Supreme Court even upholds this in a case of 1833 called Barron v. Baltimore. It's not until 1925 that the Supreme Court rules that via the 14th Amendment, via the Equal Protection Clause, the Bill of Rights does apply to the states. But it's not all at once. It's called selective incorporation, piecemeal. One at a time, these amendments are Incorporated into state laws
7: with any of these rights, the way they were developed, say freedom of speech, uh, the supreme Court didn 't even get involved with freedom of speech cases really until the labor movement brought a lot of those cases to the courts, and that 's when finally the the court would hold that yes, these bills of rights actually apply to state laws too. Um, you look at the civil rights movement, same thing when um, Uh, When the Supreme Court rules that desegregation must come to an end, did that happen in 1954? No. There was massive resistance from the states. It took movements of citizens, great movements of citizens, to finally have some of those protections applied. This is kind of crazy to
4: me. Yeah. So are you saying that the Bill of Rights, which was Written to kind of answer all of these concerns about the Constitution, you know, denying states and individuals their rights, didn't actually apply to the states. It only applied to the federal government until 1925.
5: Yeah. Do you know the no excessive fines or bail from the Eighth Amendment? Yeah. We are recording these words on February 20th, 2019, and that was incorporated this morning.
4: So... Was the Bill of Rights, as it was written in the 1700s, kind of meaningless?
5: I was scared to even say that thought out loud. But it is a fact that the Bill of Rights just didn't have much judicial impact for 150 years. The historian Gordon Wood said that after ratification, most Americans promptly forgot about the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. In 20th century America, legal immigrants were deported for their politics? People in police custody gave forced confessions. Racial segregation was legal. And so I asked Alvin about where he stood on this. Is the Bill of Rights a net gain, or is
0: it a bunch of grifters throwing out a washtub? No, I think it is great. And I, I think it was, you know, I, I think I'm closer to Elkins and I I think it was great when it, when it, when it happened, when it was, when it was, when it was written uh, into the documents. I think the ideals were always good and valuable, but it took the culture time to catch up, and it took thousands and thousands of people putting their bodies and souls on the line to convince the power structure, which is very conservative always, that they should make good on these, the, the, the text of these charter documents. Right. But the framers knew that they were being hypocritical when they were writing these documents. They, they absolutely knew it. Uh, and that's why the framers didn't allow Jefferson to say, you know, you forced us to have slavery. <laughs> right? They knew that that wasn't true. Right. Uh, but they made a Heron Vogue a master race democracy for themselves. Uh, and it took uh, an evolution in this country to undo it. And now it's going to take an evolution to preserve it, because we do have powerful forces that would like to return us to a master race democracy, and that's that's unfortunate, but true.
7: Yeah, you know, my favorite quote. Um, it's one I discovered in law school. It's the one I stand still stand by. It's by the great judge, Learned Hand. He says, "I think we place too." Too many hopes in laws and courts and constitutions. These are false hopes. Believe me, these are false hopes. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women, and when it dies there, no law, no court, no constitution can save it. So ultimately, the Bill of Rights came from us, came from we the people, and it depends on we the people for its protection.
5: I feel like we've been here a lot of times, Hannah. Yeah. Pretty much every episode. These documents initially didn't apply to everyone, and they may have flaws, but through sacrifice and through the actions of citizens, they become something greater.
4: It's like this idea of no man being above the law or the words, we the people, or all men are created equal. The true power of these words is not given by the government it has to be fought for by the people we have to rise up to wield it
5: today's episode was produced by me, at capodice with hannah mccarthy
4: our staff includes jackie helbert daniela vidal ali and ben henry Erica Janik is our executive producer.
5: Maureen McMurray is in charge of putting a hole in the washtub.
4: Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions, Ikimashu Oi, Maiden, Scott Grattan, Ye, Ye and Young Karts.
5: Super special thanks to the very first teacher to talk to me for this series and tell me about the Bill of Rights, Nate Bowling. He's the host of The Nerd Farmer, a delightful podcast where nerdy civic stuff that we love mingles with politics and shade. Last but not least, Chuck Taft, creator of Bill of Rights Survivor, uh, is willing to share that with the world. If you go to our website, civics101podcast.org, you can see his lesson plan and PowerPoint.
4: Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.
2: Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life.
3: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best.